Yeah, I'm I'm excited for uh, for for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because I want to find out more about you, and uh, okay. especially the role that you play in in helping young people, because that's such an important kind of role for anyone. Huge responsibility, and I get to test out my new microphone. Well, there you go. So it's a double bonus, yeah. It's a double bonus. Um, <laughs> but then, like we were chatting, kind of behind the scenes, me and Adrian, and I was saying, Adrian, where, where's that audio come from? Your audio's Great, and then Adrian informed me that it was cheap, cheap pair of headphones for a Samsung. Yeah. There you go, winner. So, Adrian, uh, how did you get into the, like I said, the the, the ever so important role of mentoring uh, young people? And when we say young, um, like how old are we talking? Um, so I have worked with <clears throat> toddlers all the way up to teenagers and even beyond, actually. Uh, how did I get into it? Purely, well, I kind of claim it's an accident, but it's purely I kind of I had a misspent youth um, and failed quite badly in education due to circumstances, and then I um, I by accident found my faith, uh, and my someone within the, the, a church that I was part of identified me for the work I was doing at the moment. So I was working working in security industry, high end security industry said you know what you guys I think you could really help a lot of young people with what you're doing by just your story and whatever um so I said okay I'll have a look at it and it's it's never looked back from there really and I I, I sort of discovered uh these loads of young people that were just mirroring what I was like and I thought man I can't I can't be stand back and allow that to continue what can I do even if it's only a tiny fraction to make a difference in the in the life of a young person and and steer them back on track and actually to look inside them and go, well, do you know how much potential you've got within you? And, that, and that's my big thing about their potential. I think many young people don't think it's in them. Um, they, they judge themselves by their educational status, which um, in some respects is okay, but in some respects is debilitating. It's, it stops us, it freezes us, and we don't move on from that. And, and that's a big, uh, big concern for me, a big concern for me. Yeah, I think uh, – like it should never be overlooked the power of having somebody around you that has some faith in you and believes yeah. in you. Um, especially, you know, th- this happens to a lot of, of young men, well, young, young people, they have someone that believes in them more than they believe in themselves. And that's really powerful. So yeah. what age are you, uh, range are you talking? Do you work with, or like, are you still currently working uh, with these young people? And uh, are we talking into their late teenage years as well? Yeah, so I'm currently based in two schools in my in my local area. Um, it's ironic; one's a Church of England school, the other one is a, a comprehensive school. I'm I'm hired now as a chaplain, and I work in both. But I I do a lot of behavioural stuff. I do a lot of spiritual stuff. But I'm I'm you know I'm working with all faiths and faiths that, and people that don't believe. It doesn't really bother me. I'm really interested in the people, and that's the the big takeaway from this. You know, I you know I have a faith, um, but I would never be uh put i would never sit down and say by the way i don't believe in your faith it's rubbish i just accept people for who they are if they're they're decent human beings that's good enough for me and if they want to look at what i do and they think well there's something in that then great but all power to them but if not if they don't believe in it that's that's their call that's i'm not here to influence people to become what i am i'm I'm, the only thing if i can influence to be better people in the way they live their life and the impact they have on other people's life, then that's that for me is a win-win, basically. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. So like, how do you do your mentoring then, Adrian? Is it just through the form of communication of talking, sitting down with, with, with these young people and yeah. you know, finding out you know, where they're at, where they want to yeah. go? Or, or do, do they often start from a place of like, you know, do you get put in touch with people that are already like losing their way slightly and it's your job to help bring them back? Or is it just a case of whoever? Yeah. Initially, it started off, I was... Um, so I was working in security, and a lot of my work was um, high-end stuff. But I had days out where I wasn't doing work. But I was being paid well for you know for the work I was doing. And as I say, this guy came to me and said, "Look, I really this is the work I'm doing." He said, "I'm mentoring young kids that are on the verge of being kicked out of a number of schools, and I really think you could be helpful in in this and influence them." So I said, oh, "Okay, I'll have a look." And actually, I brought my wife along, and, she, and we were a good partnership, really, because you had the the female male sort of. Uh, touch on it so she was more like the mum that many of them didn't have and I was like the dad that many didn't have and I was quite I'm straight on the on the down the line with them I'm quite honest with them but not in a bad way and I you know just say I'm just call them out on things really you know as much as I'd want to be called out if I was being doing the wrong thing by a friend or a a mentor or something like that then that was what I was doing with them but then rather than just call them out and stop it there you've got to go well I'm calling you out but what about if you looked at that direction don't you think that might help you a bit more and I could see the changes and, and they, we started. And then this guy said to me, you know what? I feel really cool to give you the, this uh, group of people to work with. I'm going to step back and I'm going to allow you to run it with you, yourself and your wife, uh, Nicole. I said, wow, OK, I'll do that. And so it fitted in with what we were doing, my lifestyle at the time. And we did it and we just saw phenomenal changes. And I think the thing for me, Alex, the thing that really swung it for me um, at the end of one of our courses, we're coming to the end, and I said, "Guys, I, I, I really want you to." And, I've, and it, this, for some people, will find this a bit strange, but for me, it was—I felt it was like divine intervention. For me, I, I laid in bed one night, and I, I have a faith at that point, out of faith, and I pray and I ask for intervention in people's lives and in my life and whatever. Sound very Jeff Thompson here, don't I? But that's what I do, uh, and then I ask a lot. And then one night, it was almost like someone was nudging me in the ribs to get up. And it was like half two in the morning. And this nudge was going, get up. I've got something I need you to to write down. And I thought, and I tried to ignore it. In the end, this nudge got worse. And in the end, I felt this distinct voice say, get up. You asked me for so much for your life. Now I'm asking you to do something for me. So I got up. I went downstairs and I really listened. And I wrote out 30 questions that were that would challenge the lives of these young people about where, what's good in their lives, what's bad in their lives, who's let them down, who's their best influence, who's their negative influence. Uh, so my wife and I, we went to this uh, last meeting with them, um, not really knowing as much as we wanted to know about these kids. And we were going away for a weekend down to uh, Devon. And I said to my wife, I said, hey, what? we'll get all those answers. We won't actually look at them. We'll take them down and we'll find a nice quiet spot on a, on a harbour or on a beach and we'll read them and we did that and oh my god I can't Alex I can't begin to tell you I just it made me cry it made me cry and it suddenly they sort of like the everything was wiped from my eyes the cloth you know the scales were wiped and I could see these kids and I could see what they were going through I thought but their schools don't know it and that's why they're playing up because they're not playing up they're in a safe space so in that safe space they release all that anger that hurt and one of the girls who we work with bless her I mean I still know her now and she's got a family now and it's beautiful that she's come through what she has and the opening thing was who's let you down the most in your life and she said my mum and then I said what's your earliest childhood memory oh my mum coming home pissed um turning on the the uh the fat hot fat 
it catching light. She's trying to put it out and it spilled on her. And then we never saw her for a year because we were taken in care and never heard from her. And it made me weep. I thought, oh, my God, is it any wonder this kid is so messed up? But the beautiful thing, at the end of the course, when we stayed in contact with her, she went on and she said, I will never – I've even worked with you. And I, and we tapped into what they wanted at the end. The half, at the halfway point of that, that form was – the first bit was a bit negative. It's all looking back at the things that have affected you, impacted your life. And now I want, now is your chance to dream. Now is your chance to, to visualize what you would love to do with your life, what you want to achieve in your life. But do it like you really believe in the dream, believe in what you want to achieve. And these kids wrote loads of stuff. But the most impactful, that girl, she said, I just want to never re- um, replicate what my mum did for me. I want to be the best mother, the best parent, the best person I can be not like my mother. Um, and so that's what she did. She's gone on and had two beautiful children. She's in a really steady relationship. And she's broken that circle, that circle, that that stuff that goes round and round, never seems to end. And she's broken that. She's given great lives to two beautiful kids and, and given them a chance in their life. So for me, you know, it's we all want to be successful in life. It's what you call successful. But for me, she's achieved success in the fact that she's broken that circle, that She's broken that lie. You're not going to do anything with your life. You're not going to be a good parent. She's killed that, and she started afresh, as it were. It was brilliant. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, that is amazing. I think, I think that, like, obviously, you know, I'm working with with guys who are in their mainly in their 30s and 40s, and uh, I think, like, when you're young, that's the best age to have someone tell you that, look, you can do more than what you're currently doing. Because I yeah. think that every year that passes, Adrian, where, like, you know, you're 23, you're 24, you're 25, and you have these, you know, these deep kind of beliefs that you're not going anywhere and that you can't achieve anything, every every day that passes, that becomes harder cycle to get out of. So I think the role of mentors for young people uh, is absolutely huge. So I think you're doing a great job there. But I'd love to know more about, you mentioned these 30 questions, because um, I, I, I'm a massive uh, believer in the power of good questions. Like I think they can yeah. really direct your life into different places. You know, yeah. good question can, can equal good answers. Um, so I'd love to know a little bit more about that, because that's kind of how I approach things with the guys that I work with now. You know, we ask tough questions. Yeah. I think that's one thing that will run, like throughout this conversation the idea of the truth and, and yeah. challenging questions and not running away from the truth no, definitely. that's all you can do and yeah. then like like you say once you've asked those questions like, what then do you do with that information so yeah can you tell me more about like the yeah. the assessment or the or, or what you, whatever you would frame this like original yeah. kind of meeting as yeah, so the, the the initial question. So what I would do it often we do it in groups, and it's great as well because it it, it it also helped me prove a point to these kids. We would get them in, and we take them out of school. That was the beauty of it. We'd do it out of school, um, and often in um, youth clubs or whatever. And I and I just make it really low key. I said, right, chuck a couple of bean bags down. There's some paper. I really don't give a crap about your spelling, your punctuation, what you put down. But this is about your chance. I don't want you to confer with your mates i want this to be about you and this is your chance to be honest with us and with yourself and also your chance to really dream that dream and and visualize that dream so we would often start you know who who's the in the initial stuff is really hard those first sort of 15 questions who are the people that have let you down the most in life who is the what's your earliest childhood memory and then it would be negative and positive because i was trying to see if there is some positives in amongst it all um 
and lots of stuff. And that would get to, as I say, get to that 15th question. And it was all a bit doom and gloom. And, and the way I'd open it up, I said, I don't know if you guys know it, but obviously I've got I had young girls. We took my girls to, um, I think it was Chesington or Thought Park, and they had uh, Professor Bubbleworks. And this is cart you go on, and it'll be like little videos going on as you go around it. I said, imagine you're in that. And every time we stop this cart, you get to see a snapshot of your life from the past. And I said, but we're going to do this journey together. And at the end, halfway through, you're going to start seeing different pictures, more positive, more uh, uh, inspiring pictures to to help motivate you for your life. And as I say, we got halfway around and those questions and they were, it's quite dire at times. And I hadn't seen a lot of that. I didn't see their answers. Uh, and I never shared them with the school unless there was a real safeguarding issue. Um, but what I did report back to the school is, you know, you have to understand there's stuff going on that you may be not aware with aware of that is influenced the behavior in your school and the way they interact with teachers. You know, if you've got a teacher that's shouting and screaming and that's what they're coming from at home, is it any wonder that they react um, negatively towards that? Or, or is it any wonder they want to walk out of that class because they want their fight or flight kicks and they go, I don't want to be in this. This just reminds me too much of home life. The, the positive got to 15. I said, this is your chance to dream. This is your moment. No one can influence this other than you. And um, I'd sort of I said, be, you know, be as open to this as you want. Um, be as dream big, dream really, really big. And uh, the, I mean, some of them were really audacious dreams, but they're brilliant. I mean, and for some of those kids have gone on. One of them is actually, ironically, he's a, he always wanted to be a DJ. And he's went on. He's, he's been on like um, national radio DJing. He's gone abroad and DJed. He's got. He runs a successful podcast. And it's amazing. With another girl who just was failing miserably, and they said, "You'll never do." You know, even for a teacher, you will not do anything with your life if you don't sort this out. And though they hear the first bit, they don't hear the second bit if you don't sort this out. But the sorting it out, you only. You know, it's hard for those kids. Um, she went on left. She became a hairdresser, and then realised. She wanted to do more of life. She's now um, an accountant. And everyone, she failed at maths. She failed at maths. And yet she's now an accountant. She's gone on and done incredible. And, you know, there's littered with lots of stories of that. There are some that have gone by the wayside. And one of the classics is a lad that I, I work with half out of school. Uh, my wife and I, I really felt this call to, for young people because I see the connection between, as you do with your the guys you work with, that, that physical aspect, it, the, the endorphins and all that, that that rage through you and the feel-good factor. And we, I wanted to work with young people that couldn't afford to have gym memberships and, and couldn't see a way forward. So what I did, I just bought a load of boxing kit. I said, right, guys, this is what I'm going to do in my area. Went down to a local recreation ground, put out all the kit. I said, right, come down there. We're not boxing. It'll just be hook and jab stuff. We'll do body weight exercises. And then as I was there, I'm saying, do you know what? I can see something in you. I can see something in you. And how powerful is that when someone actually speaks into your life and, and recognises your potential? It's just incredible. It's inspiring and, it, and, it, and it, it builds you up. And we all need to be built up at times as much as we need to be uh, dragged back down to the ground and, and have a uh, wake-up call. But these guys have never had that, and you can see it. And one of those guys, Mike, he's gone on. He's done amazing with his life. I mean, he was on. Uh, he was taking things like ketamine and stuff like that. He was in a right old state. And he changed. But what he then did, he found a brilliant uh, mixed martial art gym and he started training in there. Not, not, nothing to do with me, but he had found the impetus, the, the, um, yeah, the drive to go out and do something with his life. And he did amazing work. He's got a job. He's got a family. He's done really well. He's off drugs, 
which is brilliant. And, uh, you know, for that, for me, is, is a job well done, you know. Yeah. But that's for just daring to dream, daring to push the envelope a little bit, which, you know, I, it, I don't know if it's just indicative of sometimes of this country. People have a vision, have a dream, and then there's the naysayers are quick to crush it or put it down. And, you know, that's that's half the battle, isn't it, getting past that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, the good news is that there's probably more opportunities now than than ever. Like you, you know, you, you referred back to one guy doing a podcast and stuff. You know, I mean, th- this is um, this this is free to run. It's a great opportunity for, to meet people. You know, if you're creative, but like you say, behind, like I believe everyone has some form of you know creative intuition in, inside of them. It's you know, can we? can we drag it out of people? And yeah, you refer to the, the physical side as well. For me, that's always been one of the best ways, especially for men to get moving and get doing something. But I'm not quite sure what the turning point is. I mean, I mean it's going to be different when you're young. I think you might think more open-minded when you're young. I th- you might think more opportunities when you're young. Yeah. Um, but like I say, when I think the older you get, this is where I'm seeing a lot of the guys finding it harder to change because like I say, midlife, it, it, most people seem to think that they're done and they're not done. They're not fucking done at all. No, But you can get to that point. And I think even at that stage, like some of the things you were saying about the young guys and the tough questions, I was like, this is no different to a 40-year-old. Tony Summers, I'm sure you, you, you know Tony Summers, right? I do know Tony, yeah. He always says to me, Alex, listen, he says, most people's problems is the inner child. So, you know, the reactions that we have as men, the problems that we have as men, they all stem back from our footprint years, you know, and it's quite shocking to catch yourself sometimes acting like a giant child. I know I do sometimes, you know, throwing the toys out the pram, mood yeah. swings, when I'm not getting my own way. And um, you only have to look around and you can kind of trace it back and think, shit, like some of this stuff is still me behaving like a child. And what you're doing is so, so important, that positive role model. Because I'm not sure a lot of uh, teachers, you know, they have a job, they get paid to teach a certain syllabus. But how much of that, I'm not sure, is uh, productive to, you know, dragging the best out of kids and, and young young lads? I'm not sure. Because in schools, right, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. But if you don't want to do that as a 14-year-old, I know what I was like at that age, I'm not doing it. So, like, how, yeah. how, how do you think, like, the whole school system then fits into – this model that you've got of that, you know, dragging these ideas of dreams, like DJ dreams, podcast dreams, when actually, you know, you've got to do the maths, you've got to do the English, you've got to do the history, you've got to do the geography. Like, how, how do you, like, see this being balanced out? I don't know. I think you've got to have relevance to that as well. It's really weird because I have a lot of young lads, um, it's predominantly young lads, who go, ah, so I can't be bothered. I, I've got a job. I, I worked with a young lad the other day. I was speaking to a young lad the other day. He's a traveller. Uh, and he said, oh, sorry, I've got a job with my dad. He does uh, does this, he does that. I said, that's great. I said, do you know, and it's really good. He said, so I don't bother coming into school. And it, that was kind of like, that's a historical thing within the family. They couldn't see the point. And I see the school's point. They want to try and get the best. Now, it's ironically, the dad couldn't be bothered because that's how he's, he's just living out his old, the, the upbringing he had. The mum wants a young lad to be in school and get a better education. And you've got to try and sell it in a positive way. And I said to it, look, I said, your dad's obviously good at his job because he's holding his own, you know, he does his fencing, he does his stuff and whatever. And he said, oh, yeah, he's really good. He's really good. I said, what if you come into that business and you improve it? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, if your dad says I've got a job lined up, but I need to measure up how much fencing I need or I need to know how much gear I need or I need to send a a quote to someone. I said, if you can't read and write and you can't just do basic maths, how's that going to hold? And he went, oh, I never thought about it like that. 
I never thought about. And I think we have to, you know, you talked, spoke earlier, and I'm reading a, a really good book at the moment about how you frame things. I always remember at the school I worked at um, probably about eight years, nine years ago now, and the uh, head there, she was a brilliant head, by the way. She turned that head from a failing to a, an outstanding school in literally in a few years. And she said, I want everyone in uniforms. And that's not just the kids. I want the teachers turn up for business as well. So they're dressed for business in business attire. How can we expect uh, young people to come dressed in uniform if we don't make the effort to? And which is a great, you know, you know, don't ask anyone to do anything. You're not prepared to do yourself. And there was a massive uproar. And we had about the same 15, 20 kids. And every time they came to the school gates in the wrong gear, they get sent home. And quite rightly, the parents go, this is crazy. We can't do this. She's too strict. She's too. And I thought, well, no one's ever reframed this. So I got all the kids in a room to go, I said, listen, guys, quick chat with you. Has any, any of you got dads or parents, anyone in, in construction industry? And I said, yeah. I said, right, let's, let's work this this way. Your dad rocks up at, the, at a building site and he doesn't take his hard hat with him or his high vis or his boots. What happens? Well, he gets turned away. Yeah, he can't work. If he keeps doing that, what happens? He gets sacked. That's all we're doing. We're prepping you for real life. There are, there are, we are asked to do certain things in life that we don't like or we don't want to do. And there's a reason. I said, and they went, oh, I've never thought about it like that. And that changed it in a, in a heartbeat. They changed everything. They, they turned up every day in the right gear and the, the, the little uh, rising, the uproar was killed and parents were happy, staff were happy. And that was it. And I think it's just about reframing the need to be in there. I do think. We're quite archaic in our education uh, in ways, but we're, it's, it's Victorian. It's still, we're still merging out of the Victorian sort of uh, um, education system, and we've never really moved on from that, unfortunately. There is in school, I see the struggles in school, though, because I feel for teachers, they are they're battling, you know, they're battling to deal with what's gone on with COVID and all that sort of thing. They're battling, they're almost like second-tier social workers, really, because they're having to manage all the stuff that's going on. So hence my my role, I feel, is really important. I feel really privileged. I get to sit with a kid in a room or a number of kids, and they talk about life, and they talk about their issues, and they talk about what they want. And I can kind of feed back into that and and give them a chance, really, and then also give the education the educators a chance to educate. I'm a bit unlucky. I mean, I can walk around the school and it's all, hi, Adrian, I'm this. I'm Every time I walk around, it's, hi, guys, how you doing? How's everything? And they're like, wow, that's not like a teacher. And I'm not a teacher. I do teach one class every other week and I've got a great relationship with them kids. But I could, for me, it wouldn't want to be me every day of the week because it's just so mm. restrained and it's so hard. And we're not bringing out, we're not really digging deep and bringing out the, the potential. You could look at every kid say wow do you know actually what I can see in you and I do that I you know I do assemblies and I have 500 kids sat in front of guys you know all I can see is a, a sea of potential here I said and you don't see it you, you you've been conf- you've got this this story this this lie that's been sold to you you're not going to cut it if you don't get the grades and that is not true I said I'm living proof of that I failed massively but mine was circumstantial mine was a you know I was going I went through a quite a traumatic sort of upbringing in, in, as a kid that influence how I behaved in school. And that, that's what I saw with these kids when I did that initial, those uh, questions, those 30 questions. They're not bad kids. Yeah, I think understanding this helps. It certainly helps me have a lot more empathy for people, like even adults now who are not on a good path, or even who commit some horrendous crimes. Yeah, 
before I jumped to the whole like, oh, scum, like, should be fucking shot kind of thing, I always think, well, like, I wonder what kind of upbringing they had and wonder how they were treated when they were young. And you often trace it back and they didn't have a good time when they were young, you know. And I'm talking about, you know, the worst crimes possible out there. You often see these these kids have come from such a shit upbringing and background. So, I mean, this is great conversation, man, because we could talk about this now and I don't want to feel like I'm putting the boot into teachers because it's a tremendously difficult job. But, like... Do, do you think we're kind of setting kids up to fail then in this, this you know, ideal world of like, well, let's teach them math, let's teach them English, let's teach them these this syllabus when really we should be looking at more um, the infrastructure and, and, and teaching kids the discipline that you spoke about, resilience, meditation, life skills. Like, do you think there's going to be a shift towards that if there hasn't been already? Because I'm a bit out of date. With, with this you know i don't really know what's being taught in schools these days you'll, you'll have a really kind of clued up uh latest idea of this but like do you do you think that that's where we're going to shift or do you think that's where we should be shifting our energy with with the youngsters i think there is we need to teach young people to to develop opinions but i do i do you know when we're seeing young people crushed at, you know younger i mean i i'm i'm 56 years old so i I can't remember anyone going through the traumas that many young people are going through now. I just don't envisage it. I often say to young people, and they're up against it. Let's not, let's not beat about the bush here. You know, if I had a fallout with someone at school and if they'd done a prank phone call, it was a, it was a landline in our house with four people in it. So it's highly likely that someone else would pick the call up and they'd give up. Now, kids, someone says negative, something negative about a young person and within – the end of the day, you could have five, six hundred people also adding weight to that negativity. So it just it sort of like compounds on them, and it's like bearing the weight of all that negativity. Um, and so, yeah, and but they see that we we are we're programmed by the media. We destroy, you know, the media destroy people's lives and put them down, and they're you know, and it's all on show. And and so young people think that's the norm. They think that's what we do. We we put people's lives on on sort of show, and we knock them down or we build them up but it's all a big public thing isn't it a big public facade and it's 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 painful to watch and i think young people are so worried about what other people think about them that they it stops them actually becoming the person they are destined to be if they if they if they strive for it you know yeah well like you say now it's yeah you are worrying about potentially thousands of people like uh you know having an opinion on you but you mentioned something interesting there about teaching young people to have an opinion do you not feel like it's probably the most difficult time to have an opinion nowadays because uh, you know because of all the the censorship and uh, everything's not so heavily um pc now and and it feels for me anyway like we, we all need to be really careful right now about what we say, even if it's yeah. just healthy debate. There's, yeah. There seems something wrong with healthy debate now if it's something that might be controversial. So it's like t- trying to teach youngsters how to have that um, ability to speak openly and honestly, but at the same time, I feel like we're crushing the uh, the permission for people to do that. Yeah, I think there's a real nervousness as well to, to speak out. Um, uh for young people because they're worried they're going to offend someone or they're worried they're going to get in trouble for it. And, it, and yeah, quite, and we see that played out publicly. Someone says the wrong thing at a moment and they are literally torn apart. It's like a, it's like a, this big public um, um, stuff that goes on that people just can't, they just, you know, crush people's lives are ended. People's uh, businesses are destroyed because of that. And if we see young people seeing that, they're never going to speak. They're never going to raise, you know, speak out 
on situations. I mean, I do an RE class and I run it every other week and they're a brilliant bunch of kids. They're only sort of like 12 and 13 year old kids. And I said, listen, I know I'm a chaplain. I've got a faith. I said, but I'm not telling you what to, that I say, what I share is, is gospel. It's not truth. It's up to you to discern what is right for you and what is not right for you. If I start telling you what you have to believe, then that's me being a dictator and I'm not that person. I want you to develop as a young person your own thinking. So what I try and, and the school, to be fair that I'm in, they, they really encourage oracy. So I'll get the kids when they've got an opinion to stand up and share it amongst the class. I said, you cannot say anything wrong in front of me. The worst thing you can do is not say anything and be a, and, and just suck, clam up and never speak. I said, because that's that's how, um, you know, that's how people like dictators get on because people haven't got the, the courage to stand up and be counted. Uh, um, and it, I, I always remember from an old school I worked in, it was a brilliant, uh, this lad came into me, so oh, I'm in real trouble. And he was a good lad, uh, uh, West, uh, West Indian lad, real lovely character. And he went, oh, I'm in real trouble. I said, why, what have you done? He said, oh, I said something offensive to someone. Uh, and it's really, it's got me in a lot of trouble. I said, well, who was it? And he's, he tried to describe this lad to me. I said, no, I'm not getting, I said, describe him. What does he look like? He said, I can't. I said, what are you about? You can't. He said, well, I'm going to get in trouble. I said, well, well, tell me. He goes, well, he's black. I said, mate, you're black as well. How can you be embarrassed about or feel awkward about describing someone who's got the same color skin as you? I said, forget that. I said, you know, I'm white, you're black. It doesn't matter to me. All I see is the person. Forget your faith, your color, your gender. It's the person that's important. If you're, you're not, I asked you a direct question and you give me a direct answer. That's okay. But when we got a young black lad, he was scared to describe another lad as black because he worried he was going to offend someone or upset someone. That, that is a worrying sort of precedent we've got. Mm. And, and, and we got young people who just got no, they've lost the, the courage to speak up. And that's why I try and encourage young people. I don't encourage them to, um, to t- talk evil of people or speak bad on people. But if they've got a point to raise and it's not offensive to people, then, yeah, raise it. Be, be courageous. And if you make a mistake, hold your hands up. That's okay. Uh, and, you know, we're all – the adults in the room will say, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. We, we can accept that. Yeah, and even, if it is, even if it is offensive, um, I think if it's you, – you can tell whether what intent it's, it's said with yeah. often. And, and sometimes yeah. people do get offended, and it doesn't mean that the person who says something has said necessarily something wrong. They might be speaking yeah. their truth. Yeah. And, and that's fine. Like I say, I think as long as you say it from a good place, yeah. I think that's another hard thing to, to get your head around that it's okay for somebody to be offended. Like We seem to want, want to, to, to crush this whole – being offended thing in the world now where like everything has to be set up so that nobody gets offended. Yeah. Well, that's never going to fucking happen. Uh, not unless we just keep our mouth shut anyway, or, or like you say, we avoid, you know, sharing opinions, sharing debate, sharing the truth. So yeah. that's not going to happen. So yeah, it's confused. I mean, I'm confused. I'm sure you, you sometimes look around and you go, well, what can I say? What can't I? So imagine being a young person now who's on one end, like express yourself, be yourself, you know, all that. And then on the other side, they said, well, you can't say this. You can't say that. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's really fucking confusing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's tough, man. So obviously, dude, you know, when you get into mentoring young people, usually it's for a reason. So one of the reasons I help men create better lives is because I went through a, a vast period of time where things weren't good for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've kind of referred back to uh, a not so uh, easy upbringing and childhood and so on. Yeah, what kind of happened in your earlier years that led you on to wanting to make a difference to to the young guys now? Okay. 
So um, I, 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 you know, unfortunately, my dad is in hospital. He's quite sick at the moment. It's, I visited him yesterday, but I've got great parents. My mum and dad are still alive, um, uh, and they were great parents, really, really supportive parents. Um, had a sister, um, Sam, Samantha, um, and I can sort of remember in my early years that she was in and out of hospital a lot, but I couldn't, at that age, in, in junior school, I couldn't sort of understand what was going on. Um, and then I went to senior school, uh, and I was I was in playing good quality football. And some people saying, "Oh, he could potentially play, you know, professional." But I've seen a lot of people go down that route, and they don't actually quite cut it. So you know, talk is cheap and whatever. But I got to school, and I, I remember you had to be a certain age. I suppose it would be like the equivalent of the one show. Now I was watching that, and I was around my uncle and auntie's house. Uh, my dad was working night shift, and my sister was sat there, and my mum was sat there, and they were talking about this illness called cystic fibrosis, which is what my sister had. And uh, I thought, oh, this would be interesting. It was uh, like some professor, and it wasn't really much talked about then. Uh, so I sat there on there watching this thing and, and this thing, and, it, and I actually can literally tell you, it was like someone sticking a knife in my heart. I watched this guy literally say, you know what, people with cystic fibrosis at that time, that's going back to um, sort of late, late 70s, people with CF don't live beyond their teen years and I thought I'd never contemplated I knew she was ill but I didn't know how bad it was and I looked at my sister and she's taking this on board she's about three years younger than me and I thought my god my sister's gonna she ain't gonna be around for much longer this is terrible you know and it, it literally switched me from being compliant well-behaved good lad to someone who just didn't give a toss anymore I didn't want I went to school with a different attitude I was a nightmare to teach and I often tell young people that you know, in the in the way we live now, I'd have probably been moved into a um, pupil referral unit because my behaviour wasn't particularly brilliant. And I look at myself, I'm embarrassed by how I was then, but actually I know the reason for it. I just couldn't deal with that. And that was what it was. And for people to say, well, you know what, it's your sister was dying. But at that time, a close-knit, safe family, that is a, that is some big news to me, and it massively impacted me. Um, I was an arsehole in school. After that, impossible to be taught, impossible to reach, to be reached. Uh, my parents, quite rightly, were giving all their attention or most of their attention to my um, to my sister because she was in and out of hospital as her condition got worse. And so I timed my left school at 16 with rubbish results. And I and I wasn't stupid. That's the that's the frustrating thing. I wasn't stupid. I just didn't couldn't be bothered. And we didn't have what we have now. Well, we have, you know, I, I work with young people now who are going through um, potential bereavements and that. And I nurture them through that to say, you know, this is normal life. This happens. But I, no one sat down with me and said, oh, this is how you're going to feel. This might, you know, we can see why you're behaving like you are. Let's go at 16. Hated it. Uh, got a crappy job. Um, and this is the defining. That's why I really speak to young people. Um, and I was working at um, a conference center doing all the maintenance. I was like, like a bit like an apprentice, but wasn't particularly brilliant. And um, my boss, it was like the web we got now, windy and wet, and there wasn't much going on. He said, uh, and it was their big, ta- big, massive vat of uh, creosote. He said, see that fence? It was about 400 meters inside and out. He said, do both sides of that. And when you finish, let me know. And I literally a day and a half into that at 16 years old, I was behind the back of the fence. No one could see me. There's bushes around me. I literally sat down, and I, and I, Alex, I honestly, I had tears in my eyes. I thought, I have screwed my life up. Is this going to be the rest of my life? I can't live like this. This is ridiculous. So I'm, I'd have made a, a conscious decision there and then that, that things had to change. Uh, and I was like 16. I thought, well, I've got 
a few a uh, few months till I can start driving, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of this. I'm gonna do something with myself. And I left. I got out of that. I got into construction once I got my um my driving license. Uh, worked with a couple of guys and quickly made a lot of money. I was just only as a roofer. You know, it wasn't like it's not like brain of Britain stuff. But I was working really hard and I was prepared to work hard to go earn the money. And then obviously we had I don't know if you you may not be old enough to remember we had this thing where the inflation rate went up through the the roof. Um, people weren't buying new builds anymore, and suddenly my work stopped, and I ended up in Panasonic. At that point, obviously at eighteen, I discovered well, I discovered drink before that. When I had a drink, mate, I was I was a nightmare. I, I just wanted to fight the world because at that uh, eight, as I was eighteen years old, my sister died the day after her birthday, and it just massively changed me to an even angrier, bitter, and twisted person that thought, "Wow, this is unfair." Uh, and I had no empathy to people who had uh, drug issues, who were suicidal, because I thought, you know what, they got choices putting a needle in their arm or sl- slinging it up their nose. Uh, my sister never had a choice. Uh, they got a choice to live or die. My sister never had a choice. And I was really angry. Re- and I couldn't, you know, I had no faith. I, I had no faith at all. And my big thing was, I uh, can't be a God, because why would God allow um, rapists and murderers to get away with all this crap? Whereas my sister is massively innocent, never hurt anyone, uh, was as dead. And and in that time as well, I lost two cousins. My one of my cousins was knocked off his bike on a pate around, killed, and the other one was killed going to pick up his uh, uh, honeymoon ticket. He's an electrician, a couple of years younger than me, hit by a lorry. And I thought this can't be right. This cannot be right. And yet that's. But I used to drink, and I, I didn't hit. You know, I never. My wife said she would. I'd met my wife by then, even though her mates had said, don't know anything about him. He's a nightmare. He gets, he's really punchy and horrible. And I was, I was hanging around with the wrong people who actually are still great guys, but I was using drink to help me cope with my anger and this, and, but what it did, it came out and we'd end up fighting and getting into stuff that we shouldn't have been getting into really. Yeah. Cause you mentioned you lost a, a real good friend in, in Iraq as well when he was serving. Uh, JP. And, yeah, yeah. And that led you to question your, faith even more right so yeah. what how did you resolve that because uh, i think it's you know it's, it's strange that we're talking about this because this is being spoken about more and more often inside of the group that, that you know the guys that i talk about because again it's religion's a difficult subject to breach it's you know there's many un- unknown um answers and there's some tough questions so yeah what what conclusion did you come to like yeah why does god allow rapists and terrible things to wow. happen did you ever work that out or did you find a, a way to kind of deal uh, with the unknown answer of that question yeah i mean um so with the short story with jp jp was uh worked with a, a another two guys um and they were the they were the security team for the spice girls when the spice girls were huge and doing world tours and that and and then when they broke up jp and i worked on lots of jobs uh, in and around europe and he's just uh, one of the funniest, nicest guys I've ever met. He's just great fun to be around, but really good at his job as well. And then he went off to Iraq, as I said, as I've sort of, as you pointed out. And he'd actually asked me to go out there. Now, this is me. I've got no military background at all. Uh, and I'm in that business. I'm doing stuff in the UK and in Europe. And I can hold my own there. But going out to Iraq in a war zone, potentially... I said, mate, I've got no weapons training. So I can get you something organised out there. It's great money. It's tax-free, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and and then my wife went, mate, she goes, 
I'd rather you worked at McDonald's or swept the streets than did that. She goes, I don't feel good about it. I went, okay, well, and as it turned out, I'd work in the UK that I had to honour anyway. JP went out and he'd done three months. He uh, came back and I remember the last conversation we had, my two, my youngest daughter was uh, playing a tag rugby match, pouring with rain. And he rang me and I said, mate, I said, what's up? And he said, oh, I'm going back out. He goes, I've just had a bit of uh, some R&R, but I'm going back out to rack. You know, that option is still out there. If you want it, I said, no, mate, I'm still snowed under with work here. I, I can't do it. Uh, and that was the last conversation I had. It's really weird. I, um, in that conversation, we part, I said, I'll see you when you get back. We must meet up and have a chat and whatever. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a couple of days later, there was a um, summit on the news about a British security contractor, first British security contractor being killed in Iraq, um, being, you know, by um, IED or whatever. Um, and I knew in my spirit, I knew straight away it was JP. I don't know why, but I knew. And then I was confirmed a few days later. Uh, another good friend in the industry rang me up and said that was JP. And basically a suicide bomber drove up beside him, detonated the bomb in the guy's truck, killed JP and a couple of other people. In the, and, and then they dragged his body around Baghdad for a, a half an hour or so just to sort of finish the job off. So I went to his funeral and I went very angry. Uh, I went very angry. And at the time, it's ironic, really, my wife had started going to church and my message to my wife was, can shove that. I ain't interested in that. There ain't no God. You can shove that. I'm not bothered. If you want to go on a Sunday, that's up to you. And she was taking my daughters and they were loving it. And they all come, oh, it's great. You should come. You should come. It's quite an evangelical church. I said, no, I'm not going to church. I'm not interested. It doesn't exist for me. Uh, and I went to, it's really weird. I went to uh, JP's funeral. It was in this little old church in Enfield. And I stood at the back of the church and I looked down this church. And as I'm looking down there, there at the front is JP's wife and two daughters, exactly the same image that could have been me. And I went, all right, God, if you exist, if you bloody exist, prove it. Because I'm not understanding this. My two cousins, my sister, JP, all the hurt, the pain, I don't understand it. Prove you exist. Prove you exist. And there's a, an old thing in the Bible that says knock and the door will be open. And I think that was my knock and the door was open bit. I didn't get the Bible. And there's at times, I'll be very honest with you, I look at the Bible now and it always confuses me at times. I know there are people that are amazing scholars of the Bible. And, you know, if I had Jeff Thompson here, he'd be telling me everything that, that I should be looking at and reading. He'd be putting a point to it. But for me, I'm a very simple man. And I needed more than the Bible to prove it. And it's weird. Um, my wife, well, my youngest daughter, Molly, or, who um, is, lives with me as well um, with her husband. We're doing a, a, a big property together. And she was at the time was about nine years. She goes, Dad, please come, please come. And she just nagged me until in the end I just went, oh, for God's sake, I'll go just to prove it's a load of old crap. I'm not, in, you know, I'll just go just to shut you up and leave me alone so I can have my Sundays to go to the gym or watch a bit of Sky or whatever and not do anything. Um, so I went the first time and it was weird. It wasn't in your regular church. It was in a school hall. And when I rocked up, I thought, oh, God, I really went with a, this attitude that I'm going to prove them wrong. This is going to be rubbish. I'm not going to. Anyway, sits in there and um, it's, it's funny. Actually, when I look back, it's funny. I was sat in there and my excuse was, well, this isn't church like I know it. It should be all pews and rows and whatever. And it wasn't. So it's straight away, it don't feel like church to me. Um, and then <clears throat> they had this worship music, this music, and everyone stood up and they were putting their hands in here. I thought, oh, my God, 
what is this all about? A load of happy, clappy churchgoers. I don't want to be involved in this. I actually wanted to go to the nearest exit and get out, if I'm being really honest. But I'll tell you, Alex, that day was the turning point for me because as this carried on, and like I said, I've got great parents and they've done nothing but love on me all their life. They've been incredible parents. and They've been through the loss of a daughter and yet they still stuck by me through thick and thin and I've been an arsehole at times. And, you know, and I didn't deserve that love sometimes. But I sat in that thing and I can only describe it as someone come up with me and put almost like round my shoulders a blanket of love. that I, It was like something I'd never felt before in my life. And I didn't admit it to anyone because it was, this is weird. I'm, what am I feeling here? Uh, I now believe, I, and this is my belief, so people might be going, rolling their eyes, going, oh, what that or crap he's going about. This for me is like the Holy Spirit. This is like a God in, in, a, in a spiritual form really comforting me. And I needed that. I needed to have, a, I was searching for a way out, basically. I was searching away from drinking uh, and sorting my life out, really. And I didn't admit it. And then I went back a few more times and then it, I really got it hook, line and sinker. And there was a few things that contributed to that. Like I said, I didn't, I wasn't going to pick a Bible up and start scouring through the Bible because it didn't mean anything to me. And so I read a couple of books. I do love reading books and I read, um, I love rugby. So I read Jason Robinson's um, book about his life and he had a kind of like a, a pivotal moment where his life felt crap. And he was contemplating suicide. The world looked at him and said, well, a successful rugby league player. He's got it sorted. He's got the money. He's got the car. He's got the house. And actually what he was was in a relationship. He was falling apart. His, his girlfriend had had a baby and now she wasn't with him. And he was drinking. He was in a, it was a mess. And he was actually contemplating ending his life. And it, it's a great story. I wish I could remember the uh, Fijian guy, but he was on the treatment table on a Monday morning after playing on a Sunday. And uh, he just basically said to uh, the Fijian guy, man, you, you're so relaxed. You're so chilled. You don't know. Nothing winds you up anymore. And the Fijian guy gave him a Bible. And he said, because I have a faith. He goes, why don't you try looking at this? And Robinson said, you know, I, I'm sort of paraphrasing it and shortening it all down. But Robinson said, I've read that. And it was literally life changing. It was an overnight thing. He went back to his girl girlfriend and said, listen, I want to change my life. I want to, I want things to change in our, in our relationship. I want to be the father that I, you know, that I should be, and I want to be potentially the husband that I should be. And he walked away from the the drinking and all that sort of thing. Committed, he's found his faith, and it turned him around really. And yeah, he's, he's, he's quite. There's, you look at every picture of him in the England rugby team, and he always had a sweatband with a little cross on it that he'd drawn on there. And he, he was quite vocal about his faith and the turnaround. And then I read a couple of other books. One by a guy called David Wilkinson, who was a, a preacher in the '60s who felt called to go to New York and try and resolve gang warfare in this in the 60s um and he did do successfully there's some great work in there even though he was pulled apart by the gangs they you know, he was attacked and he's verified in the middle of, the, of new york and put down by them and then there's another book which is by one of those gang members called nicky cruz and it's called run baby run which actually is the the, the other side of the story where he was this was a guy who was responsible for stabbings and shootings and stuff like that and he just literally found his faith by meeting David Wilkinson, and it, it and he went on to do amazing things. And the final one was Jackie Pullinger, a lady who was 17 years old, felt God say, go to Hong Kong. This is back in the late 50s, early 60s. Went to Hong Kong and um, went to the walled city, where at the time was all the triads operated in there. It was just a no-go zone. And end up praying for people with drug addictions and, and seeing people set free from drug addiction. I thought, bloody hell, 
there's actually something in this. You know, if Jason Robinson and the Nikki Cruz, David Wilkerson, Jackie Pullinger, maybe there is something in it. And the more I looked at it, I, I kind of bought into it. I felt something different in me, mate. Something checked in my spirit and it changed me. And suddenly from the person who had no time for um, for the homeless, for drug addicts, for um, people contemplating suicide, who suddenly it spun the other way and suddenly I could see and having working and then end up working with young people that everything sort of joined together. You know, like life, they say life's a tapestry, but on the back of that tapestry is a massive mess. Or you could, if you saw the back of a tapestry, that's our life, but it's all tatters and torn. That's what it was. I could see all the bits being pulled together and, and kind of God was highlighting his kids. Guys, you've got to do something with these kids. You've got to do something with these kids. So that's where I started getting this, this, vision to sort of work with young people not to you know i love it if they come to faith that's up to them but actually i want them to know who they are and the potential within them and it is in with everyone and your guys i I read your stories and i do comment on your instagram stuff i love it when you've got some guy who's out of condition overweight can't see a point in his life anymore and just by a gen uh, an interaction from you and going to the gym suddenly it all turns around and it's it's doable that's the thing but the thing that used to really wind me up and and it's not winding me up you know there's a need for your bit but why are we waiting until people get to 50 or 40 50 before we make those changes i would like to see young people equipped to do the changes at young ages and then equipped to face life on you know that's my passion so yeah i mean there's so many questions i've got from from, right then go far away because i I want to come back in a second we'll come back to this you know uh, you know is, is your quest in faith now over and like that's it you know you're settled and you know your faith is strong Uh, secondly like how did that answer your question of like all the terrible things happening in life and then just to touch on what you've said about like you know some of the guys on my instagram stuff you know just found the gym uh you know they suddenly have a purpose in life or something to aim at do you ever feel like religion could be the same for some people where let's look beyond God for a minute and it's just the fact that they've found somewhere to put their energy or or do you, you know, are you adamant now and do you have utter faith that there is a, a God that exists or a Holy Spirit or an energy? Like, is your faith that strong now that you believe it or, or do you open up the, the, the barriers to say, well, do you know what, I might just be invested in this community and that might be the thing that that is what saved me? I think you know what, mate. I've got my faith is huge, and I don't think it's. I don't think it would ever change. There's lots of things that. There's a few reasons for that. I've been, you know, you come to faith it doesn't mean you therefore have a great life after, and life's not going to hurt you, and it does. You know, at the moment I went to see my dad in hospital last night. He's very, very sick, and you know he's 81, and I and I'm not unrealistic. He's, you know, it's so seriously, time's running out for him. Days of old, I'd have been getting a bit of a sad on about that and and getting pissed off about it and getting angry about it. And I do get angry about it still, and I am upset about it. I kind of, you know, I I like to think my dad is going to a better place eventually, and I like to think one day I'll see him in whatever form that looks like. If I could give you the definitive answer, I'd be, A, a bloody rich man, and uh, that would be it. But then there will be someone going, you're talking crap, Adrian. And there's probably people on the end of this camera now going, what an idiot, what an idiot. And that was always my biggest thing, mate. My biggest thing when I came to faith is shit. Because I'd been involved in lots of naughty stuff. 
with the wrong people and done some stupid things in my time. I'd fenced a bit of stolen gear and all that sort of thing, you know. So I'd been around the block and people knew me as this guy who liked to have a lot, lot to drink and got in scrapes and that. And suddenly, how can you go from uh, – and I like um, – I know Jeff Thompson has spoke a lot about um, how Saul to Paul, and I felt like that. This person had suddenly gone from being this arsehole, angry arsehole, to someone who wanted to – share love for people and, and, and tolerate people and accept people. And I'm not, it's not about what your faith is. I love people and I love to, I love people to realize how much value they've got. And I love people to feel that love because it's the thing that, that seals the deal at the end of the day. Um, you know, like I say, I go on about Jeff a lot. He's an incredible guy, an incredible mentor for me, even though, you know, we've met a few times, but he's just such a genuinely kind, nice man. He did bad stuff. And we've all guilty of doing bad stuff. That's the thing. If we we believe we've got a place in heaven because we we deserve it, well, none of us deserve it. And for me, I still at times have to apologise for my behaviour. I'll get out of bed, stub my toe on the on the bed, and go oh, for fuck's sake, and that's and start effing and jeffing, or follow someone down the road who's not going as fast as I want them to go. And I, for God's sake, move out of the way. But you know, I I mess up. We all mess up. None of us are perfect. Uh, none of us are perfect. I, you know, I would say I'm a Christian, but I'd be more about I try and mirror the, the works of Jesus, really, and that was to love people, accept people, tolerate people, encourage people, you know, and that's what I want to be, mate. That's all I want to be. I'm not – it's not about me winning people for Christ or anything like that. It's not that. If you want someone to m- pitch up to and look at, if you believe in him or not, as the son of God – but honestly, the guy is a, was incredible. The things he did, you know, and he and he was uh, an enabler as well. And he, you know, some chip, some fishermen, and who basically weren't trained for business. And he built them up, you know, like you're trying to build blokes up who don't believe in themselves. He gave them a, the power to believe in themselves and the power to move on in life and do something with their life. And I'm not saying that's you know, none of us are God, none of us this, none of us, but there is that in all of us that to enable so for me my faith will never be rocked um i've never lost a friend that was my biggest fear was losing mates um i've got my oldest mate who lives out in australia and i thought oh shit how am i going to tell him he's going to he's going to take the piss out of me massively he's going to rip me to pieces and to the point that i uh, someone in our church he didn't know i was going then they needed some roofing work done i said oh my mate go and speak to my mate i'll get him right give him a call and i gave him the number and he turned up at their house and uh, he said, so how do you know Adrian then? He said, because me, me and Wayne, my mate, he lives in Australia, he said, oh, because we'd worked together on quite a few jobs, like uh, doing roofing work and that. I said, oh, he's at our church. He went, you what? He's at church? You are? For, and uh, literally, I, he was going around there um, 11 o'clock on a Saturday, and it got to 11.30, and I knew the phone rang. I knew straight away it was him. He said, what are you up to? You, you've come a god bother. He goes, I can't believe you. And I just laughed at us and mate, I, I need it. I needed to change. I needed to change, mate. I, yeah. I had so much hurt and so much anger. I needed to change. Nothing's changed our relationship. It's me that's changing my my other relationship. So, uh, you know, I've made it. I've, I've never lost a friend, I don't think, but I've gained a massive array of friends and people that I will, that I, that are, who I love and who I, and I love to be around, basically. Yeah. I think even if you don't, fully believe in god i think it's worthwhile considering that if you live a life like there is a god like it's gonna make you behave in probably a, in a more ethical and 
yeah, uh, an upfront standpoint view. So I, you know, I'm still on the fence. I'm not going to lie. I was brought Catholic, but there's things I do that kind of like would would um, kind of refer to the to the fact that I think God, some form of God exists. Because I, I sleep with like a small cross next to my bed that that Jeff actually gave me as a gift and. <laughs> You know, every time I go into the steam room at the gym, I have that as my, my prayer time and I just speak to God. But I'm very much still in the phase of like, prove it, prove it to me. But I think this is where it gets a bit confusing. I look around and I think like there is proof if, if you want it to exist, that God exists. Like yeah. you could look around at so many things and say, well, yeah, this is this is too strong to be a coincidence. There's too many things like it has to be more than that. So yeah. I think you might find what you're looking for. I'm not sure. I don't know where all of this internal stuff comes from because religion for me is very deep rooted. It's, you know, I don't think you can just turn a blind eye to it. I know I can't like it's there. It's in me. It's something that I can't ignore. Even if I choose to like, there's always that talk going on up there. Like does God exist? No, he can't exist. He can't. It's just too frightening concept that he exists. And then you're like, well, there's got to be something. There's got to be something. And it's weird. I'm reading a book at the minute. Uh, the guy who's on next week, Carl Perry, he, he, um, he's an author of a book called You Only Live Thrice. So he actually died for about, I think it was about two or three minutes, his heart packed up. And he said, I hate to disappoint everyone, he said, but there was nothing. <laughs> the lights were out. You know, he was like, I've got to tell you that it was this journey through this white tunnel and I saw family members of old. He was like, it was nothing. And I was kind of like uh, a little bit disappointed at reading that and also a bit comforted at the same time because I think a lot of fear for us is like, what happens after we die? You know, how are we going to be punished? Like you say, for all those fuck-ups we've made, the people we've hurt, the bad things we've done, am I going to be punished for that? Because if you're a Jeff Thompson fan, you would believe in karma, right? Or at least if you believe in the principles that Jeff talks about. Jeff's big into karma. Like you have to pay for everything that you do, good and bad. So, like, that kind of thought is scary. The thought of nothing else existing after is also scary. So it can leave you in this whole turmoil of, like, don't know what to believe, don't know what to think, don't know what's going to happen after. Yes. And we know we're not going to get the answers until it's time for right. us to, for the answers to be presented in front of us. I know. It's crazy, right? So I had a, 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 yeah, I heard a, a great one before. He's a, a real good guy. Ken, he was a, a, he's an ex-copper. Uh, he's, he's a man mountain. He's an absolute beast. He's a huge, he played rugby. He's probably six foot six. He's built like a brick outhouse. And he used to preach in our church. Uh, he now lives in Scotland. Uh, he'd be in his element now, seeing Scotland smash us, it, it, <laughs> beat England. But um, he th- he did a great one one day. And he said, I can't prove that God exists. I can't prove there's a heaven. I can't prove that when I am buried in the ground or burnt um, where I'm going, he goes, but I can't take the chance. I can't take the chance. And it's yeah. true. You go, you know, if I die and I just become worm food or dust that's tossed on the ground, then so be it. If I wake up and I didn't have a faith and didn't believe, now I've got to be answerable, it goes, shit. Then the, then the rubber hits the road. And, and I'm kind of that really, I, you know, I wouldn't, you know, so I am quite, I, I'm quite an evangelist. I will share my faith. I wouldn't, I've never been one of these blokes who stands in a row, going, you're going to hell, you're going to damn. Cause I don't think that actually works. That just puts people off. I think the way you uh, people become come alongside or come to faith is often through relationship by coming alongside people, not being judged. And we are a judgmental world that we live in, trying not to judge people and to love people. You know, you know, and again, like you were saying, I, I reckon if you spoke to a lot of your guys, 
It's the backstory that influences the way they've turned out at this moment in time. And that is the same for most people. I, I know that because of me. And I know that because of the young people I've worked with. It's the backstory, the one that no one knows about that is influenced. My, yeah. I met a guy once when I was feeding homeless people. And I'm not saying that to be big I am or anything. But I've taken my daughter, the one who Molly used to nag me to death to go to church. And um, she was with us. She was only 13 at the time. And we were walking uh, around uh, Reading, near, near where I live. And these homeless guys, and, and you know, they're in shit place. But they are the most appreciative people I've ever met. They're in squalor, sitting on the ground, and no one's given them the time of day except for slinging a quid, quid in a bloody paper cup, and that's it. And I, we would sit and we'd have a cup of tea with them, a coffee, a bit of food, and just make them feel like a human being because that's what they are, and they deserve that at least, if not more. Uh, and then one guy I was chatting to, and it's ironic, the irony of it isn't lost on me, um, he was chatting to me, and I said, what's going on with your life? And that's it. Someone genuinely interested in what's going on with his life and he said, mate, I'm, I'm shit street. He goes, I'm not going to be here much longer. If I live another six months, he goes, I'm a heroin addict. Uh, and he showed me the state. He goes, I've got barely any veins left. I've screwed my life up. I said, what's your story? What's got you to this place in life? He said, I used to go, and this is the irony of it all, mate. And, and that's what I'm trying to say here. None of us are perfect. And whether you're a, a doctor, a, a teacher, or a religious leader, none of us are perfect. He goes, I went to East Coast Church with my parents. He goes, and I was sexually abused by the leader of the church. I told people and they didn't believe me. And he goes, so I started smoking weed to take away the pain and the hurt and the, the rejection that I was feeling. And uh, the weed worked for a while and then the weed stopped working. So we upped it. And now I find myself five years later, I'm massively addicted to heroin. I can't get off it. It's the only thing that helps me get away from that pain, even though it's very short-lived, but I need more and more of it to escape the pain. The pain keeps coming back quicker. He said, and I said, can you just stop there a minute? And I called my daughter. I said, Molly, I want you to listen to this man's story. I said, the best drugs counseling, best drugs advice you'll ever get. And uh, she sat, she heard it, and it, it changed her in a heartbeat. It changed her. Um, I mean, she's never done drugs. It changed her outlook on people that do drugs it changed their outlook on homeless people as well and that poor guy and i don't know where he ended up being or what he's done with his life but it was like shit we should have that man should be going in schools and telling kids what the worst case scenario of drugs i know there are people that can um function as drug addicts and still get through life but we got the other end where people's lives get smashed to pieces and i've worked in i help um uh, a men's drink and drug rehab uh, location. It was a Christian place, and there wasn't one person there who didn't have a backstory. They all had a backstory, and every one of them said, I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd never had that drink. I wish I'd never stuck that needle in my arm. I wish I'd never put that stuff up my nose. And I would hate to have a life of I wishes. And that's the things, you know. Would you know, I can't remember what countries they are, Adrian. I think it's like Austria... Might even be Portugal in that now. If you're okay. like a class A uh, drug addict, uh, instead of punishing you, what they will do is they will um, give you money to 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 buy groceries and things that you need to live. Yeah. They will give you a flat and they will give you a, a job. And again, I, I can hear people already going, "Well, fucking hell, they're getting everything given to them and all that." And I'm like, "Well, j- just hear me out a second. A lot of people who um, are on drugs in this country, like I say, automatically bad people." you know, stay away from me kind of thing. All of a sudden their job opportunities are zero. They have, you know, no real 
options available. And what they're finding is that if you can help people get set up on their feet and give them a purpose and give them a good job that they care about and uh, allow them to contribute in a positive way to their community, then they start to find life is worth living without the drugs. So a lot of, you know, drug addicts will get to the point where they can't see a way out of that, can they? You know, it's the booze is all I've got, the drugs is all I've got. Yeah. And it's interesting, there's a guy in in town that, I don't know why, I've really took a shine to him. He's, he's a guy, he's, he's a homeless guy, and he's always sat in the same space. And, you know, he's, he's you know, and there's, there's a lot of homeless people in, in the town. But this guy in particular, I don't know what it is, Adrian. I'm just warm to him. I always buy him a cup of coffee and that. And I took him to McDonald's yesterday, and we were having a little chat and that. And he said that, you know, he's got kids, and a, and a wife and I, I just I literally slapped myself around the face because you don't you don't even put that together of somebody who's sleeping on the street as having kids but yeah. I don't know why I just didn't put that together I thought he's a normal guy like something terrible happened to him like shit like happened in his life like yeah. he got really unlucky yeah he might not have helped himself in certain situations but like he's just me and you like he is no different yeah. he's like you know something terrible happens to my mom and dad tomorrow and all of a sudden I could lose the fucking plot and it could be me that's in that situation and I always try my best I don't always succeed to spin it like that and see that whether you know you're somebody who's drinking heavily or somebody who's a drug addict or someone who's sleeping on the streets like you cannot rule that out happening to us and these are just normal people who need some fucking help some support and some love yeah I mean is this is it I don't know if the stats right but most people are only sort of three, four paychecks away from being homeless themselves, aren't they? If they can't afford their mortgage, that's that's where it, you know you, you end up being homeless yourself, having nothing. Uh, and we kind of we look down at people. Often, people society looks down at people that are homeless, like I'll oh, get a life. You know, there's jobs out there, but you you know people don't put themselves deliberately in that place. You know, they don't do that intentionally. Uh, you know, I've uh, I've just given up fostering, but I fostered for ten years, and I. You know, I've seen lots of kids who've gone into that route because they've got no destination, they've got no future, and it's it's sad to see that you know oh, I've come from a crap upbringing, so therefore I'll just carry on with that. It's just you know I said earlier about breaking that cycle, that mindset is definitely the way uh, forward for young people. Yeah, absolutely, and um, you know, although I lead with health and fitness like what I'm ultimately trying to do is just create better people just like yourself. Like you you can imagine if more of more of the world was like you, you know, with this attitude um, and this desire to help people, man, the world would be a completely different place. I still stand firm in the, in the essence that to get to the stage that you've got Adrian, like it starts with helping the self, doesn't it? So I always make this clear to anyone starting their journey, you know, because everyone wants to be a good son. Everyone wants to be a good, um husband and father and for me that 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 can only be done when you start to work on yourself a little bit like you 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 improve your own inner self and then you might be able to help your kids and you know your parents and your 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 sisters and your brothers and then like who knows if you get to that stage and you're good at that then you start to reach out to your community you know you help the guy who's sleeping rough on the streets and that's how it works for me It, it kind of like it just spreads all the good work that you do it yeah. starts real close inside the four walls. And then if you continue that journey, mate, like you're doing, it's phenomenal. Because when you think when you help a kid, Adrian, like who grows up to be a young man, who then has a kid and a wife, like you, you've affected his whole entire fucking life and Absolutely. the people around him. So you're not just yeah. helping that one guy. You're helping that guy and everybody that he comes into contact with. Yeah. So 
mate, what you do is super, super powerful. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I think you do some amazing work. Thank Where you. does somebody like yourself who, you know, wants to make a bit of a difference now? We might be sitting at home going, Joe, you know I watch a bit too much TV. Um, I don't really do much. I could be out there making a difference. Where would you suggest these people start or go or look for? Well, you know what? We we all know, don't we? We all know where there there's a need. There is a need. You know, I, and that's why I keep I keep referring back to Jeff because Jeff Thompson just loves to serve people. He loves to serve. He, and any and, and he will always say it's reciprocal. What you give out, you get back. The whole karmic effect, if you like. Um, but I know he doesn't do that for that reason. He does it because he genuinely wants to love people and serve people and bring value to people's lives. So, you know, I, for me, I'm always looking for a way to, to, even if you just speak something into someone's life or you can see something good in someone, encourage them to do that and to follow that route. You know, it doesn't have to be a big, massive gesture. It doesn't have to be this. And I, I'd say, you know, like your homeless person, rather than just put, go and get him a, stick a couple of quid in his pot sit down have a human conversation make that person feel valued uh make him you know ask him what's going on in your life what led you to this place you know i mean my daughter was brilliant and she did it one day she was working in windsor um and she and she's got a real passion for young uh, homeless people and she said dad she came home and she goes dad oh, there's this guy there and he's he, i feel so bad for him he said can we take some stuff in can i take some sort of like you know, aftershave and deodorants and wash stuff and that, and try and help him get a run on the ladder, as it were. Said, yeah, of course you can. That's no problem at all. We, we, you know, we can do that, put a kit, kit bag together. And then a couple of days later, she came out, she said, Dad, he's got an interview for a job. He said, can we give him some clothes? She said, yeah, of course we can. And so that's what we did. Now, I don't know what he's done with that, but all that's done is it's ena- enabled him to feel valued and to have some hope, really. And, you know, when you're in a hopeless place, and you can't see a way forward, you, it's hard to get out of that. It's hard to escape that. And that doesn't matter if you've got no money or loads of money. You know, I, you know, I've worked with celebrities over the years who, who, who talk from the world, looks and go, wow, man, you've got it made. You, you've got everything sorted. And actually they are desperately lonely, desperately sad, desperately still searching. And that's the thing I feel is different for me, mate. I'm not searching for my meaning anymore i found my purpose and my meaning now i don't have millions in the bank uh and that doesn't mean i'm i'm not successful i think i'm successful in my own right i've i'm fulfilling my purpose in life and that's all we can ask what do you want me you know if you believe or don't believe you know what do i want to do in my life what can i do to make this world a little bit better if we all felt like like that you're doing it with your guys because you've got a passion for it and i've got a passion for young people to help them become better people and live better lives. But if we all develop that, and that means just going down, speaking to that homeless person, checking on your bloody neighbour, it's not rocket science, go and knock on that old guy, you know, two doors down. How are you doing, mate? You know, how's life treating you? Just being genuinely interested and caring about people. It doesn't take a lot, mate. It's it's not rocket science, is it? It's not rocket science. But your guys are great because you look at Instagram and go, wow, it's amazing. That's incredible. I mean, I, I showed... um. Uh, a lad at school the other day. Um, I watch lots of stuff. Uh, I tend not to watch shit TV, if I'm being honest, because it pollutes your brain. It's just like it's just adding crap to your head, you know. And I watch. I like a lot of stuff. The Spartan Up stuff and the best interview. And I watch it. If you ever go on YouTube, you'll see my name popping up every five minutes on the comments. 
And it's Barry Hearn, who's Eddie Hearn's dad, speaking to um, Joe. Is it Joe Dissenter, Isn't it? Is he? Is he? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, mate, the, it's the best interview I've ever ever that's seen. It is so you've got to watch it, mate, because it's so inspiring. And it's Barry Hearn being bloody brutally honest about okay. life. It's fantastic. I would encourage anyone to watch it. It's so good. What you'll see is Adrian Laws, I needed this, needed to kick up the arse. <laughs> Boom. About three months later, needed this, kick up the arse. Yeah. I showed this lad the other day and he was like, wow, I never thought about it like that. And sometimes yeah. that's all we need, a little wake-up call, a little kick up the backside and go, yeah. You all need it. And I'll say, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And your guys, if, they, if they're feeling a bit, oh, shit, you know, having a bad day, What's something like that? What's something positive that's going to uplift you? Even pick up the, you know, pick up the, I don't know, email you or pick up the phone to a mate who's in the same, you know, on the same journey as you and work with them. You know, working together, being in relationship with people is the way forward without doubt. Mate, I'm going to show them this podcast because you are a fucking inspiration and a leader in my eyes. <laughs> oh, I think that, uh, well, I didn't know too much about it before today. And, um, like, again, like, sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm taking a re- I don't know what you're going to say today. And some of these things are just, like you say, it's intuition. Like, go and speak to this guy, Adrian. Like, fuck knows why. <laughs> like, you know, you've been really supportive on my page. So it's kind of caught my attention. And then you get to speech and you're like, for, for me, like, you've got all the high-flying celebs on Insta and that. And I'm like, there's some real genuine heroes on there, people like yourself, that are actually making a real difference and i try not to get frustrated because it's in my opinion it should be people's eyes should be on you like we should be listening to people like you and not bullshit celebrity stuff and i'm like you know so if i can just give you a little bit of a platform just for you to say all these amazing things because i guarantee one person at least will change what they do from listening to this podcast absolutely spot on mate that happens mate we've done a good thing today yeah, I mean, I, I often, I, I, you know, I do look at certain things and I'll, I'll look through YouTube at good stuff. There's a great clip, and you may have seen it, of Ian Wright, the footballer. And, um, who oh, it's Peter. We're Mr. Pigden. Oh, mate, that, that reduces me to tears every time. <laughs> yeah, because I think if I could just make that much difference to one person yeah. who's had a sh- – then that has got to be – I'll go to my grave a bloody happy man, I'll tell you. That's, that's what it comes down to, mate. Well, what I'd love to, you to do, if you're okay with it, is to come inside of the, the Batman private group and do a bit of a training for the guys who might be able to, to take some of this wisdom to help their kids and to just maybe with the parent inside and the, the yeah. encouragement side. Because to, to show discipline and love and encouragement and all that is quite hard, I can imagine. So if we could come in and, and just talk about that with the fellas, that would be amazing. I'd be honoured, mate. I'd be honoured. Adrian, know. that was one of my favourite conversations, man. Oh, I, I man. Had a, I'm... Bless you, absolute mate. That's class. lovely. No, that's, that's lovely. Class, mate. You're an absolute diamond. Where are you from, man? We should hook up. So originally, I originally was born in London, South East yeah, London. But I live in that. in Bart. Yeah, guess that everyone says that. But yeah. I, I live in uh, Bracknell, Berkshire. So no I like to see. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Where are you then? The next weekend. No, not this yeah. weekend. Coming surely. No, no, next weekend. My oh, sister right. is my, my sister's a, a Wokingham girl. She lives no in Wokingham. Way. And my wife works in Wokingham. Oh, we'll have to meet up, mate. I can't one, have yes. a beer with you because I don't drink. Oh, you don't, that's right. <laughs> you, you can buy me Jeff one, Thompson mate. for that. <laughs> you, you can buy me one. That's fine. Oh, you can yeah, just, for sure. I'll just drink. You can talk. That's fine. Okay, um, mate, oh, mate Bracknell's ten, eight, ten minutes from where my sister's at. Oh, so amazing. the next time I'm down there, we should hook up and go grab a coffee. Yeah, no, million percent. 
He's one of your guys from around my area. I keep seeing his name. I won't mention him online, but um, yeah. I keep seeing his name, and he's quite he's he's local, I think. So uh, yeah, I've got guys guys all over the all over the UK now, which is great. And I, I was having a chat with Michael Sprott, who also lives down down your neck of the woods. The yeah. uh, former European heavyweight boxer. He's a, he's a great guy as well. So yeah, yeah listen, uh, that was great. I'm I'm pretty sure people are going to listen to that and think, wow. So yeah. thanks thanks for being so honest, man. And thanks for, oh, for coming on and keep doing the work you're doing because, like thank I say, you. it's and I'm, you, mate, and you, thank and you, you because you're doing an amazing job, mate. And yes. you know, if you can set people free and give them a bit of hope and and give them a vision for their life, then that to me is a job well done, mate. And you know, you're bringing value to people's life, and there's no and there is no that's that's like. Unbelievable. That's brilliant. So good good luck to you, mate. Adrian, what a ledge. Mate, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for your time. All the best, Alex. God bless, mate. Bye-bye.